Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Oh, Father in heaven, today, with heads bowed, with hearts wide open, we are recognizing that we are in deep need of a Savior. We thank you, Father, for having revealed that Savior to us. His name is Jesus. And so, Lord, it's in his name that we approach this throne of grace. We, we have no right to be in your presence but for the blood of Jesus. And so we thank you, God, that you have invited us to come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. And Lord, maybe there are some in this congregation that have deep needs that have never been spoken to human ears. And Father, with the cries of our hearts, with the Holy Spirit interceding for us, God, you hear the groaning of our hearts. God, please meet with us today. We thank you so much that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And so we pray that as we open this, that this would be more than just ink on paper, but that, th that our hearts would be sensitive to the promptings of your Holy Spirit, that this word would become life to us today. And Father, we thank you in advance for the ways that you're going to teach us, inspire us, challenge us, instruct us, and transform us. Because we've prayed these things in Jesus' precious and saving name, let the family say, amen, amen. Ah, happy Sabbath, friends. I hope it's happy. It's a happy Sabbath for me. I'm, I'm blessed to be a part of this church family. I'm blessed to be a child of God. Oh, man, what a privilege to know that when we receive Jesus, he gives us the right to become children of God. Uh, last week, we were looking at those opening verses of John chapter 1, and I hope that you have been able to allow that word to speak life to you throughout the week. Um, you know, before we get into the message this morning, just a couple of things. Uh, for those of you who are, who are starting school, or maybe you have children or grandchildren who are starting school, uh, we want you to know that we are praying for you, and um, maybe that's why, this is the last weekend, I guess, before school, and so maybe that's why some of our families are missing today, and so we want to pray for those who are, who are not here too. Um, maybe you're an educator and you're starting school coming up, and so we, we want to pray for you and your ministry there. Um, I also just wanted to make mention of um, tomorrow morning, if you are interested in knowing how you can more effectively serve the Lord, come tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. 10 a.m., we'll meet right in here, actually, because these are the most comfortable seats on campus. Um, no, but yeah, 10 a.m., it's a spiritual leadership training. It's right there in your bulletin. You've got a flyer there on the back side of the Arlene Taylor flyer. But uh, spiritual leadership training, we're going to do this once a quarter. We're going to try to do this once a quarter where we can be more thoroughly equipped and joyfully involved in linking others to Christ, okay? And so once a quarter, we'll do a spiritual leadership training this this time, this time around, tomorrow morning, we're actually focusing on spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts. So that'll be our focus. Maybe you're not quite even sure. What in the world are spiritual gifts? I haven't seen anything show up on my doorstep lately. No. Um, spiritual gifts. We'll, we'll look at it. We'll discover maybe uh, this is something that you're aware of, maybe something you're not aware of. 
And it's important because we're going to be doing this as a group so we can be aware of one another's spiritual gifts, how we can more effectively serve together as a team. So please, come tomorrow morning. Um, whether you are a ministry leader or not, it's open to all. Okay, just wanted to get that plug in. And now, let's go to our study. We're going to the Gospel of John once again. The Gospel of John, chapter 1. Last week we mentioned this, that John is actually the last of the four Gospels to be written. You may remember that Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they were all written around the same time, 50, 60 AD. John, 30 years later, comes in and says, hey, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they did a good job, but they're missing something. Okay, so John, John gives his gospel, and you'll notice that when you read through the gospel of John, there's so much in John that's unique to John. Have you noticed that before? Yeah, some of those stories only John tells. Why? Why? It's possibly, one, because he was the disciple that probably had the closest relationship with Jesus, so maybe he got the inside track that others didn't get. The other thing is that John had a very specific purpose in writing. He was the last living apostle he was the last of the 12 that was still alive, and so he was writing to people who were wondering, what's going to happen when all those first-timers are gone? What's going to happen when that first generation of believers are, are off, off the radar? And John was writing specifically to that need of the second generation, asking, is my faith still valid, even if I don't see, hear, and touch Jesus in the flesh? And so here's John. He's writing these things. And in John chapter 1, we started asking the question, what is it that drives God? Last week's message was mission-driven God. We asked two things, or we looked for two glimpses of God. We found that God is passionate. He is seeking two things. Do you remember what they were? God is a God of relationships. So he is passionate pursuit, number one, of God. He is pursuing relationship. He is pursuing relationship with you, with me. He's the one who takes that first step. Amen. Because sometimes I don't even know how to take that first step. But God comes to my shore, and he says, come follow me. So that's, that's, that was glimpse number one last week. We also saw that, that the thing that God pursues is not just relationship, but he also pursues partnership. He wants to partner with humanity. Divinity actually partners with humanity in seeking and saving the lost. Wow. That means you and I, we, we don't have to just be spectators. We actually get to come off the bench, send me in coach, right? And we get to play on God's team. We get to be part of bridging the gap between humanity and divinity. And God says, hey, let me use you. Let me use people to reach people. That's the mission-driven God. That is what God seeks. That's what God pursues. And now this week, we're looking at mission-driven church. Mission-driven church. Actually, before we get to that, uh, I left a, a take-home challenge last week, and I challenged you to see how many of you could memorize. Do you remember what I asked you to memorize? Our mission statement. Did anybody do it? Did anybody do it? Yeah? Okay. Have you? Well, let's practice just a little bit. All right. So if you don't know it, it's in your bulletin. You can open up to the, the first page there on the left. It says, our mission is to reveal Jesus Christ to the world now in preparation for his soon return. Amen. Do we need to do it again? No. <laughs> Actually, I thought about playing a little game. Uh, every other word, one side of the church, other side of the church. Um, but, yeah, I don't want to. Anyways, okay. <laughs> Practice it with a partner today. Hey, our mission is simply to reveal Jesus Christ to the world now in preparation for his soon return. 
We don't want to wait for another generation to do it. We want to do it ourselves. <laughs> Jesus has revealed himself to us. Let me reveal Jesus to others. Reveal Jesus Christ to the world now in preparation for his soon return. So sometimes you may wonder, why in the world you know, do, we, uh, do we have this ministry? Or why do we do this at church? Well, if we could boil everything down, we ought to do what we do in order to reveal Jesus Christ to the world now in preparation for his soon return. If there is something that we are doing that doesn't do that, oh, let's, let's rearrange that so that it actually does reveal Jesus Christ. If there is something that cannot do that, well, then why are we doing it in the first place, right? So everything that we do, whether it's youth ministry, uh, whether it's uh, a pathfinder, whether it's potluck, whether it's opening a door, or stuffing a bulletin, whether it's picking things up, everything ought to be to reveal Jesus Christ to the world now in preparation for his soon return. What's your small group existing for? To reveal Jesus Christ now. What's that ministry there for? To reveal Jesus. Are we following today? Yes or no? Yeah. This is everything that God wants to do. He is wanting to reveal himself. So everything that we ought to do should be to reveal Jesus. All right. Okay, so now let's talk a little bit now. Mission-driven church. What is it that uh, if we know that God pursues relationship, if, if God pursues partnership with humanity, what is it that God's church pursues? What is it that we are really looking for, pursuing, seeking, and aiming for? And that's what we want to look at as we go to John chapter 1. Turn with me. If you've got John chapter 1, verse 35, go ahead and say amen. amen. All right, John chapter 1, verse 35. Just a little bit of background here. John, he doesn't tell the story of Jesus' baptism, okay? He doesn't tell the story of you know, this is the voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. But we know that Jesus has been baptized. And so when we catch up to this, we're actually seeing a glimpse of John the Baptist. And it's as though this is probably after the 40 days that Jesus spends in the wilderness. So John the Baptist saw Jesus at, the, at his baptism. He heard the voice from heaven, and 40 days later, he sees Jesus walking in the midst of the crowd, and John the Baptist spots him. He realizes that the Holy Spirit is remaining upon him, even though, humanly speaking, he probably looks emaciated. He probably looks wiry. He probably looks like he needs a, something to lean on. But God is, is still with him. His Holy Spirit is dwelling upon him. And John the Baptist recognizes this, and in beginning in verse 35, John repeats a message that he had said just a few verses earlier, a day or two earlier. John chapter 1, verse 35, I'm reading from the New King James Bible, and it says, Again, the next day, John stood with who? Two of his disciples. Oh, okay, I just want to see something here. John's experience is actually going to set up a little pattern, a pattern that we're going to see throughout the rest of this chapter, that John actually has disciples. Did you know that John had disciples? What does that tell you about John? He had a message. What else? That he was someone worth following? That he, say it again, he was a good leader. Okay, now when you've got a message, when you're someone that worth, that's worth following, that you're a good leader, that means that you have gained people's trust and confidence. And when people have confidence in you, that means you have influence over them or in their lives. Is that true, yes or no? Yeah, so here's John. He's got two disciples, but notice what he tells the, these disciples. Verse 36, looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, behold the Lamb of God. 
Here is a man who has relationships of trust, confidence, influence, yet those relationships are not for himself. Who are they for? (laughs) It's to say, he's the man. Behold the Lamb of God. And earlier he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So John's goal in these relationships was not about himself. His goal in his relationships was about leading people to Jesus. All right, let's keep going. What happens to these two disciples Presumably, this is John, the disciple, who's actually writing the gospel. And the other one is probably Andrew. Actually, we know definitely it's Andrew as we read later on. Let's go. Verse 37, it says, The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned, and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? I love this. Okay, so here's, there, there's this play on words that's happening. In verse 35, it says that John saw Jesus, right? I'm sorry, in verse 36, it says John was looking at Jesus, and then he tells other people to look at Jesus, right? Behold, the Lamb of God. But then when these two disciples, they're following, Jesus turns, and the Bible says, seeing them, Jesus saw them following and said, what do you seek? That word for seeing, it's it's actually not just like uh, noticing, It's actually observing intently, concentrating on. So here's Jesus. He's kind of walking, perusing, pretending like he doesn't see anything, but he's really seeing something. He sees two disciples who are checking him out, kind of trying to figure out what in the world is this guy all about. I want you to know something. We talk about us seeing Jesus. We talk about us beholding the Lamb. But did you know that the Lamb beholds you? We talk about us watching and and discerning where God is working. Did you know that God watches and discerns where you're working? We are not off the radar screen. We are not off the grid. When it comes to God, he knows you. And we're going to see this later on in the chapter even more pronounced. But Jesus beholds us. Jesus beholds us. He could be beholding so many other things in this universe. But he is mindful of you and I. The point is this, that when the God of relationship sees any openness to that relationship, when the God of relationship actually recognizes that there's someone who is opening the door to that relationship with him, oh, he's not going to let that pass. (laughs) He is not going to let that pass. He engages us, and notice, he doesn't coerce us. God sees that open door, but he doesn't pounce all over it. Instead, what he says, he actually inquires. He asks a question. What's Jesus' question? There in verse 38, then Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, what do you seek? What do you seek? That word, seek, it means to look for, to strive after, to aim for, to try to get to the bottom of. What are you, what do you really want? In other words, what's your mission? What's your purpose? What's your goal? And based upon the follow-up question that these two disciples give back to Jesus, we can truly see what they were seeking. Let's check it out. Then Jesus turned, this is verse 38, Then Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated teacher, Where are you? What's the next word in your Bible? Where are you staying? 
Where are you staying? The Greek word here, it repeats three times in this chapter. It's repeated also in John chapter 15, where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me, and I in you. When when the disciples are asking, where are you staying? The disciples are actually wondering, can we stay with you? The disciples aren't just looking for a roadside interview. They're not just looking for a quick fix or an immediate answer. What they're looking for is, guess what? Relationship. So when we're talking about what the mission-driven church seeks, here's picture number one. They're seeking relationship with Jesus. If you're taking notes, go ahead and write this down. Mission drive number one. They want to abide. Mission drive number one, what the mission-driven church seeks, a remaining relationship with Jesus, an abiding relationship with Jesus. And to this, the God of relationship will always respond with an affirmative. Anytime we say, can we stay with you? Jesus is always going to say, come on in. (laughs) Notice what he says to these two inquiring disciples in verse 39. It says, He said to them, come and see. And the specific Greek verb there for come, it's in the the present continuous, which literally could be translated, keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. And Jesus, this this is his priority, and when he sees it's our priority, he says, yeah, come on in, come and see. Last week, we learned that God prioritizes relationship. Apparently, God's church prioritizes relationship too. Can you say amen? This is, this, I don't know, someone once said it, we are not human doings, we are human beings. <laughs> that above and beyond uh, what we do for a living, who we are connected to is what should identify us. I don't know, maybe you've been in those awkward conversations. Hey, what's your name? Yeah, tell me about yourself. And you start describing what you do. Has that ever happened? You start trying to, oh, uh, describe, you know, somebody to somebody who, a friend. Okay, sorry. (laughs) You're trying to introduce a friend to someone that they've never met. Um, but before you get there, you know, you're trying to describe them. Well, you know, um, he's, he's, he's really nice. He's, he's a good guy. Actually, you know, he, he does this for a living. He goes there every now and then. And you're talking about what that person does, not just who they are. And here's the thing. Our identity as individuals and as a church is not wrapped up in what we do. It's who we are in, in relationship with. It's not about what we do, friends. It's about who we know. And who we know changes what we do. (laughs) The the mission-driven church prioritizes relationships. So the church that moves in mission will first be a church that rests in relationship. The disciple that moves in mission will first be a disciple that rests in relationship. Actually, just hold the bookmark here. I want you to go to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 3. This this one, when I first came across this um, in my my younger years, <laughs> I, um, I was blown away because I wanted to do many, many things for God. I had this aspiration or a- ambition uh, to, to do lots, to, to go big or go home. And in Mark chapter 3, verse 15, sorry, not verse 15, it's um, 13 through 15. Here we go. Mark chapter 3, when you're there, say Amen. This kind of uh, shifted my goals and priorities. Mark chapter 3, verse 13 through 15. 
So here's Jesus, and it says he went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted. Again, there's this picture of a God of relationship. He wants people. He wants to be connected. He went up on the mountain and called to to him those whom he himself wanted, and they came to him. And notice what he appointed them to do. Verse 14, then he appointed twelve, that they might, what? Be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. Here's the the critical thing. We know that when Jesus called the disciples, he called them to do great things. But did you know that along with doing great things, he called them to be with him? Do you catch it there in verse 14? And when he appointed 12, that they might be with him. When you are called to serve, when you are called to mission, you are called to relationship with Jesus. Because only out of that can all of our doing have any meaning. We are called to be with him. Do you, realize, do you hear God's call? He's calling you to be in relationship with him. <laughs> Maybe you want to do great things for God. Praise the Lord. But first, he's calling you to be with him. All right, let's go back to John. John chapter 1. So mission drive number one, the thing that the mission-driven church pursues first is relationship with Jesus. Let's keep reading, because this story takes a little bit of a twist. It's not just that Andrew and John are all about soaking up the sun, so to speak. It's not just that they want to enjoy that relationship themselves, but notice what happens In verse 39, let's pick it up where we left off. Verse 39, John chapter 1, verse 39. He said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the 10th hour. Again, these disciples, they just wanted to be with Jesus. And in verse 40, notice what happens. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was who? Andrew. Simon Peter's what? Brother. Okay. One of those two that initially heard John say, Behold the Lamb, and went after Jesus, his name was Andrew. Verse 41, it says, He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus, what is the next word? Looked at him, there it is again. He said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. Okay, let's back up here just a second. When Andrew uh, discovers, he stays, he spends that time with Jesus, and he realizes this is the Messiah. This is the hope of all nations. This is the desire of all ages. When he realizes who Jesus is, what is it that Andrew does first? He gets his brother. Actually, the, the, literally speaking, he finds his brother, right? The very first, the immediate inclination when we find Jesus is to find our own. When we find the lamb, we want to find those who need to find the lamb. You, you follow that, yes or no? Yeah? When, we, when Andrew found Jesus, his first, his immediate reaction was to first find his own brother. And I like how it says, that first phrase there in verse 41, he first found, he first found his own brother. That word own, that that shows a relationship of possession, right? A relationship of belonging. But the, the Greek word there, it's actually not just that simple, okay, this is his toy. 
You know, it, it's actually something that's uniquely his, his own brother, like nobody else's brother. I'm taking personal responsibility and accountability for this. This is, Peter is, is Andrew's own brother. It, it, Peter doesn't belong to anybody else. And Andrew is saying, look, this is my man. <laughs> I feel personally responsible for him and I can't pass him off to anyone else. That's who he first finds. He first finds his own brother. So we've talked about it, mission drive number one. What is it that the mission-driven tr- church seeks? One, relationship with Jesus. Mission drive number two, what else does the mission-driven church seek for? Friends to bring to Jesus. Amen? This is what drives God's people. The two passionate pursuits of God's people is, number one, personal friendship with God, and number two, bringing their personal friends to God. The mission-driven church realizes, yes, go ye therefore and teach all nations, right? We, the mission-driven church has this, uh, the mission-driven church thinks globally but acts personally. In order to have global impact, it starts with personal effort. As I once read, uh, someone simply put it like this, the kingdom of God advances among friends. Think about that. The kingdom of God advances among friends. The first followers of Jesus, their immediate reaction, let me go find my friends. They didn't go try to build a radio tower and, and, and try to, you know, tell other... I mean, not that that's not important. Please don't get me wrong. But their first, their first response, let me find my own. Let me find my own so that they can behold the Lamb too. The mission-driven church is passionately pursuing relationship with God and bringing other friends to God. This revealing Jesus to the world now, you know, that mission statement that we were just, uh, you know, memorizing. Revealing Jesus Christ to the world now, it starts with things as simple of, as revealing Jesus Christ right where I am now. Revealing Jesus Christ in my home now. Revealing Jesus Christ in my workplace now. Revealing Jesus Christ in my friendship now. In my whatever now, where I am, what's my own that's where I reveal Jesus Christ. And so, yes, let's, let's reach broadly, but may our broad reach never neglect our closest borders. And in verse 42, I love how it says it, that first phrase, and he, speaking of Andrew, and he brought him to Jesus. Wouldn't you like that to be a description of you and I? And we brought him to Jesus. Whatever, whoever is your own, whoever is your loved one, whoever is that first finding, or that first person you want to find, and we brought them to Jesus. I would love that to be written of me. And this is Andrew. He brought him to Jesus. And when he did, did you notice what Jesus did? It says in verse 42, now when Jesus looked at him, okay, there's that thing, Jesus knew him, he read him, there was something about Simon that he understood, something that he understood so much that he actually wanted to give him a new name. He wanted to change his identity right there and then. Jesus saw him. You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. Bam! You're a man of strength. 
You may not necessarily feel like you've got much to offer, but wow, stones can do a lot. <laughs> you can build with them. You can hurt with them. You can help with them. Stones can do a lot. And Jesus sees this, this individual. Everything that he's been, everything that he could be, and he gives him a new identity. The story continues because it gets even better. In verse 43, the, the, the Bible says, The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. And he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now, this is actually the only person in this whole narrative that Jesus finds. Everybody else is finding Jesus, but now Jesus actually finds Philip. It says, The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Verse 44, Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Probably had some interaction with these guys. Okay. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. This is pretty awesome. Did you notice that Philip's immediate reaction to finding Jesus was the same immediate reaction as Andrew? Did you notice that, yes or no? When he finds Jesus, he wants to find a friend to bring to Jesus. And so Philip finds Nathanael, and, and in verse 45, he kind of gives this mixed description of Jesus. Man, this is the one that all the Old Testament prophets wrote about. He is definitely a man of human origin, but then he gives these names, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Kind of uh, combining this humanity and divinity all in one, and for some reason, the, the divine human union actually draws out Philip's faith and says, wow, this guy, this guy is someone different. And in verse 46, this, maybe you're familiar with this, Nathaniel does not necessarily respond positively. Has that ever happened? <laughs> you try to bring a friend to Jesus, and they're like, what are you talking about, bro? <laughs> verse 46, Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? There was something that, that Philip's initial description just didn't sit well with Nathaniel. And I imagine that Nathaniel was probably in the crowd that hung around the, the Jordan River where, where John was baptizing he was probably in the crowd that day or maybe multiple days when John said, that's the one, that's the one. And Nathaniel, he's not quick to go. He's thinking it through. He doesn't see very much in this guy, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And he probably goes to his own property or whatever and actually maybe under a fig tree and prays and seeks God's will and says, what are you trying to do here, Lord? Who is the hope of this nation? Who is, who is the desire of ages? And here's Nathaniel. He hears Nazareth? What are you talking about? And interestingly, Nazareth wasn't known to be the breeding place of the best characters. Okay? And so Jesus identifies even with, with the worst of us. Amen. Nathaniel said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Well, let me give you argument A, B, and C. Whoa! What does Philip do? Come and see. Who said that earlier? Jesus. Philip doesn't need to argue him down. Philip just extends an invitation. Check it out. And I think this is so instructive to us when we're thinking about how do we reach out to our friends? How do we actually lead them to Jesus? Well, don't worry about arguing them down. What this says, it says, it says less about maybe his method and it says more about his relationship with Nathaniel. Think about this. He didn't have just, you know, some, some uh, thesis to lay out in front of Nathaniel. No, 
he had a relationship with Nathaniel in such a way that Nathaniel could actually trust him and say, hey, this is, if you think so, maybe this is legit. Philip didn't have a compelling argument for Nathaniel, but he did have a caring relationship with his friend. And so he responded, and he, he did come to Jesus. And notice what happens in verse 46. I'm sorry, verse 47. What does Jesus do? Jesus saw Nathaniel. Are you reading that? Jesus saw Nathaniel. I tell you, when you come to Jesus, Jesus sees you. Jesus sees you. He knows you. And notice... Uh, he doesn't just know Simon Peter. He, he actually knows Nathaniel too. It says in verse 47, Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said of him, Behold, whoa, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. Nathaniel said to him, Excuse me, <laughs> what webcam do you have, right? How do you know me? Verse 48, Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. When you were seeking God in prayer for those answers that you were looking for, I saw you. And Nathaniel, this was enough for Nathaniel. Verse 49, Nathaniel answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, what? Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. In other words, you thought that was good. Oh, you ain't seen nothing yet, right? <laughs> You'll see greater things than these. This is only John chapter 1. There's 2 all the way through 21. And then when in John 21, John says, man, if I were to try to write everything that Jesus did, not all the books in the world could fill it up. Man, you ain't seen nothing yet. In verse 51, he said to him, most assuredly, I say to you hereafter, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Do you know what Bible story Jesus is referring to right there? Jacob's ladder. Remember when Jacob, by the way, his name means deceiver. Here's Nathaniel, in whom there is no deceit, a true Israelite indeed, right? Anyways, uh, Jesus is referring to Jacob's experience where he's running from Esau, he's dreaming a dream, and God shows him, even though he's cut off from every human relationship, God shows him a ladder between heaven and earth. God is at the top, Jacob's at the bottom, angels up and down. God is assuring Jacob, you are not disconnected from me. And here's Jesus saying, Nathaniel, you thought that was good. <laughs> I'm, you're going to see heaven open up. You're going to have a similar experience where you see heaven is so near to earth. Angels of God ascending and descending upon who? Who? Upon who? Upon the Son of Man. Not just some ladder. Upon me. Jesus is revealing to him, I am that bridge. I'm the one that makes sure you are not disconnected from divinity. I am the one who holds with one arm, an arm around the heavenly throne and an arm around our human predicament. Jesus says, I'm that one. You're going to see heaven opened up in such a way that you never even thought possible. Bam! <laughs> All when we come to Jesus. All when we come to Jesus. I want us to see something, that there are two people in this story that were brought to Jesus. Remember their names? Simon, we call him Peter, and Nathaniel, right here. Two people who were brought to Jesus, and they both experienced a life-changing, identity-transforming encounter with Christ. When we bring people to Jesus, we don't have to wonder if God can work with them. Amen? 
oh man, I don't know if you're like me, you, you think about people to reach out to and you're like, man, I don't know about this one. Why is that? Why is that? Because a lot of, maybe, maybe this is just me, but I'll submit that sometimes, oftentimes, when we think about bringing people to Jesus, we are thinking, I can't change them. Or we are thinking, I need to change them. Here's the truth. Only Jesus can change them. <laughs> Praise him for that. <laughs> why is that, though? Why is that? If, if this story has anything to tell us about why that is, I believe it's because only Jesus knows the true heart, and only Jesus knows the true heart need. Remember, Jesus saw Peter coming, or Simon, we should say. Jesus saw Simon coming, and he said, no, 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 uh, this is who you really are. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming and said, oh, wow, this is who you really are. And there's something about not just us knowing God, but there's something about being known by God that actually changes us. Like the psalmist in Psalm 139, oh, you have searched me and known me. Before I was formed in the womb, you knew me. Your thoughts toward me are so precious. And then he surrenders to God at the end of that psalm. Oh, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my inmost thoughts and lead me in the way everlasting. There's something about knowing that God knows you and loves you anyway that actually transforms and melts the heart. And so sometimes we reach out to our friends and we want to change them, but the truth is only Jesus can. So if it's only Jesus that can change them, what can I do? What can I do? Pray? Amen. And, and simply, if, if this story has anything to teach us, like Jesus, watch when they're seeking. Observe when they're seeking. And like Jesus, simply say, come and see. Observe when they're looking, not just for a quick answer, or a quick fix, not just for a roadside interview, but observe for when they're seeking relationship with Jesus. And simply say, come and see. Maybe they present some argument here or some argument there. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, is this truly possible? I mean, a literal creation? What are you talking about? Come and see. Come and see. And that, the weight of that invitation, let me say this, the weight of that invitation depends upon two things. One, the quality of my relationship with Jesus, and two, the quality of my friendship with that person. So if we're to be a mission-driven church, we're to be a people of relationship, pursuing relationship, ensuring the quality of this vertical connection with God and building the quality of our horizontal connections with others. I don't know, maybe Jesus summarized it really well. Love God and love your neighbor. Is this, is this too elementary or are we, are we following? Okay, yeah? The weight of our invitation is to, hey, come and see. It will have no weight if we have no relationship with Jesus. Come and see what? When we're revealing Jesus to the world, it's because it's coming out of a relationship with Jesus. And so the weight of our come and see will only be as compelling as our relationship with God is real. And it will only be as compelling as our relationship with them is genuine. So what are the practical takeaways here? What are the practical takeaways? First, let me say this. To those who may have been brought here today by a friend, maybe you're here today because someone actually brought you, or maybe you're just in this mode where you personally are, are kind of, you know, where, where John and Andrew were at the beginning of this story, just trying to see 
Jesus. If that's you, if that's you, I, I want you to know that the Holy Spirit is leading you. I want you to know that if you are seeking, Jesus sees you. Jesus notices you. He reads you, not in a way that, that, that you should feel shame and, and turn away, but in a way where, where he knows everything about you and loves you anyway. Maybe I'll even say this. Maybe this is more compelling. He sees everything about you and likes you anyway. <laughs> Have mercy. <laughs> You're seeking today. Jesus sees you. And his simple invitation, just as it was to John and Andrew, come and see. And keep coming and see. You want to know where Jesus is staying? He wants you to stay right there with him. Experience an abiding relationship with Jesus. And maybe you don't know what that's like. Maybe you're only used to just kind of a, a, an answer here, a touch-and-go relationship with Jesus, but you're wanting to abide. You're wanting to stay and remain in a relationship with him. Maybe you need some help and coaching in that. I'd be happy to give you a book that I absolutely love. It's called Steps to Christ. Uh, if, 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 if there's someone here that is looking for Jesus and just wants to know, how can I have an abiding relationship with him? I'd be happy to give you a copy of that. So please see me afterwards, please. Second thing is this. If you, you know, just thinking about, um, man, just the fact that, that Jenna's going to be starting school here soon. Like, school is on my mind a lot. <laughs> and I'm realizing that, just kind of putting myself in her shoes, man, when I was thinking about starting classes and, you know, a new year, I'm thinking about all these friends. And so, uh, if you're a young person today and you're, you're, you're thinking, okay, who, who are the friends that I'm going to make? Maybe you're a parent of a young person. You're, who are the friends that they're going to make? <laughs> you know? If you are, are in that situation, I just want to appeal to you, friends. My, my young people, our students here, Deepen your friendship with Jesus first, okay? Deepen your friendship with Jesus first. And as you make your friends, see them as friends to bring to Jesus. Amen? Amen. And just a, a general appeal for all of us. Again, we, we said it earlier, if you just kind of lock your eyes on verse 42, that first phrase right there, and he brought him to Jesus. My appeal is simply this, would we make that our goal? <laughs> that that would be written of us. He brought him to Jesus. She brought her to Jesus. Who is that loved one? Who is that friend that, that, you're, you're, that is your own and nobody else's? Who is that one that you know you cannot pass off the responsibility to? Reveal Jesus to him or her and lead them to Jesus. Maybe you're wondering, like, uh, who do I even have relationships like that with? I don't even have relationships of trust and confidence with the people that are my own. Maybe you want to build those relationships. So you're wondering, how can I actually put myself in a position where, where my invitation to come and see is actually of weight, would actually mean something? Actually, the next time, or, or not next week, because Dr. Arlene Taylor will be speaking, but the following week, we'll look at that. How do we build relationships of confidence and trust? How do we actually uh, build relationships of influence? So that will be the next sermon in our series. But here, simple first step. Someone said it earlier. Pray. Is that simple enough? Pray. Pray for what? Pray for this. Pray for three to five people in your immediate circle of influence that God may be impressing you to invest in. 
Three to five people, maybe you can't even think of three, maybe you're thinking one or two. You just want to write down, I would suggest that you write them down, put a bookmark in your Bible where their names are like always in your face. Write those names down and pray for them. Maybe you're at the point where you're like, I don't even know who would be on that list. Well, pray that God would show you who to put on that list. Does that make sense? Yeah? Just, just form an, a simple prayer list. Uh, maybe just a little bit more specific, an impact list. Okay? An impact list. Wouldn't it be awesome to look at that list six months down the road, 12 months down the road, and you see that name, and you'd be able to, to write that into verse 42. And he brought her to Jesus. <laughs> Wouldn't it be powerful to be able to say, oh man, this, this happened to me. Um, like I had this habit of, of having this prayer list in my Bible and, I, and I've slipped out of that habit. And so as I was developing this sermon, I was like, man, why do I not do that anymore? And I remember several years back, I, I, I looked at that prayer list and I said, whoa, I just, I baptized that person. He was my cousin that I had no regular contact with, and yet he asked me for baptism. I'm like, oh, sure. <laughs> How does that happen? When we pray, God can open up heaven. Angels ascending, descending in ways that we never saw. You thought that was good? Greater things than these you will see. Come on, Lord, bring it on, right? So who's on your list? Maybe you don't know. Pray about who should be on that list. And when we come back together again, let's, let's keep praying. Let's keep praying. At House of Prayer, um, 7 p.m. Wednesday nights, we're going to start carving out specific time to pray for those on our impact list throughout the months of August and September. And so, hey, maybe you can't come 7 p.m. Pray where you are for your, those on your impact list. All right? It's not impossible with God. Maybe some of us are kind of like, wah, wah, wah. Uh, this person, I, that, could, that could never happen. Hey, greater things than these. <laughs> greater things than these. He's bridging heaven and earth right now. He wants to open up the storehouses of heaven on your behalf, on my behalf, on behalf of those on your impact list. He knows their name. He reads their heart. And he can give them nothing else this world can offer. So bring them to Jesus. Bring them to Jesus. Have you found Jesus? Or maybe I should say, has Jesus found you? <laughs> then who will we find to bring to Jesus? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, today we thank you that you're the God who sees us. And Lord, we are seeking. Sometimes we don't even know what we're seeking. But today we want to direct and focus our pursuit on a relationship with you that is real, that is abiding, that is remaining. Father, we also pray for the relationships that you've already entrusted to us, whether in the home or without the home. Lord, we, we pray that we would be faithful stewards of those relationships. Just like John the Baptist, he had disciples and he pointed them to the Lamb of God. Lord, please make us friends with you that can be eternal friends to those around us. Thank you, Father, that nothing is impossible with you. Thank you that through Jesus we have the assurance that heaven is wide open. And so, Lord, whatever may seem impossible to us, we pray for faith to replace that doubt. We pray for courage to, to actually rise up and, and reach out and to first find our own. Thank you, God, for a church that wants to reveal Jesus Christ, not just to the world out there, but to my world right here. 
Oh, Lord, please teach us, inspire us, move us on your mission. We pray this in Jesus' saving name. Let the family say, amen, amen. Praise the Lord. If you